This week, we talk about some time management hacks Rick is trying now that he has a baby to take care of. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? I have been uh, reading a book. It's my one one book a year type you of thing. You don't read. I know. <laughs> actually, one of our listeners uh, sent it my way. Um, I don't actually know their name because they... They like DM me on Twitter from a brand account, so I know what their brand is. But anyway, they recommended this book to me called Killing Marketing, and so I am reading it. Have you heard of this one? I have not. It's a great name, though. Yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> you'd think people who are mar- professional marketers would be good at coming up with naming a book, but the premise, I'm, not, I'm only like 10% of the way through it, but the premise is kind of cool. It's like, the idea is, it's, it's related to something we talked about before. We've talked about like acquiring companies uh, to... That, that like do content, like basically acquiring media companies to help with the distribution for like a SaaS product or something like that. Um, and the appeal, as we talked about, is it's like having a blog or an ebook or some kind of lead gen thing, but also they monetize. Like if you buy it for 10x their revenue of a media company, you get their revenue and you get the lead gen, right? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So killing marketing, and again, I'm not done with it by any means, but the premise is like, you should actually make money off of your marketing spend. So like, let me give you an example. Apparently Red Bull, uh, have you ever thought about Red Bull before? You're like, they're every like race car and dumb pilot stunt you see online is sponsored by Red Bull. How does this company selling energy drinks make enough money to sponsor all this stuff? Apparently, they actually make money off their marketing. Like, they sell the marketing as you a said, product. You said make money off your marketing a couple of times. Can you uh, describe what, what you mean by that? Yeah. So, one example is like they have a magazine that they sell. Like, you have to pay to get the Red Bull. It's called the Red Bulletin, I guess, according to this book. But I think like if you go to some Red Bull stunt thing, they charge you to go to it. And it's actually like profit, like even if they didn't sell energy drinks, they'd be making money off of all this content they're doing. What you're saying is Red Bull is a media company that also sells energy drinks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's kind of what this book, I, I'm, I'll share more as I keep going about like, how do you actually do it according to them? But they're basically saying forward looking companies that are ready for the future are not just going to be doing like free lead gen type stuff. They're going to be selling, they're going to be, like you said, a media company, they're going to be selling content. And that content is going to drive eyeballs to other products. That's awesome. Yeah. So do, do you think it's there's an kind of a dream. Well, do you think that there's an opportunity for you to do that with less annoying CRM or less annoying business.com? <laughs> I was definitely thinking about that. Uh, I'm probably not thinking like outside the box enough here, but I was kind of thinking like, what thing do I have expertise about that maybe someone would pay for? And I do think like, Making a book about customer service is the the closest thing to that I can imagine. I don't know. What do you think? I think so too. I think cu- like customer service is your specialty, um, and you do it. And it's not just that it's your specialty; it's that you have uh, some general, like generationally different ideas uh, about how to do customer service and what good customer service is and what bad customer service is, and how to think about margins and mm-hmm. um, word of mouth marketing. I mean, there's a whole, um, yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. Yeah, so I've been thinking about that a little bit more. But another like thought I have reading this, it's kind of filling me with dread, which is 
it was already very competitive making content. If the content's being sold, like uh, there's a term they have in the book, like owned content or whatever they call it. Anyway, if it's being sold, like the marketing budget that a sales force can put towards this, if they're if they're doing the same thing and they're trying to make money off of their marketing spend, the the standard for content is just going to go even higher. It's already hard to compete on content, but I'm kind of worried that in the future, if you can't afford like a producer and a professional, you know, writer and videographer and all that stuff, how is your content going to compete with the Red Bulls of the world? It's a good question. I don't know. It it, it feels, you know, like free is powerful. So like at some point, like content becomes good enough and the, there are diminishing returns to better like content. So mm-hmm. especially for educational content. So I think entertainment is a whole nother like ball game because once you like the, potentially like there are endless improvement opportunities to entertainment because we haven't experienced it yet. And once you experience like the new entertainment, it's hard to go back to the old entertainment unless it's like a special movie night. Um, and you're like, Oh, I'm going to actually subject myself to black and white films for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but educational content is different, I think. Yeah, you're probably right. And I, I think like the the medium matters a lot. Like you and I put out an hour-ish long podcast every week and it takes us an hour and 10 minutes. Like every time we, we're done hitting record, I go and like spend 10 minutes getting it published. There's no other time going into this. And then I'm like, man, I just spent four hours writing a blog post. Like very, very different kind of time. And pe- people tolerate low production quality podcasts because like they're here, like the medium fits it. They want to hear the ums and the ahs and the having us thinking through problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I, I don't think this, this podcast, do you think people listen to this podcast for entertainment or for other reasons? Uh, other reasons. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. So the, I think the podcasts that are for entertainment purposes, like yeah. by definition have to be more highly produced. Right. Like NPR ones and stuff like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Well, well, I'm sure we'll continue exploring the the content world and all. If if I keep reading this book, I hope to, but I always I never make it through a book. <laughs> I want to say one thing before we switch topics, which is I'm pessimistic that this is like a long term trend. This feels like other topics we've talked about in the past, um, where it's like audience first or something else first. Um, this is it feels like a cyclical thing. Like at some point, as soon as uh, someone who's producing whatever the good content is standard wise. Mm-hmm. They like so, a competitive advantage is to make that free, and like use your margin on your core product to pay yeah. for it. So you know, it seems like this is a battle um, of of like hubs. You know, if I'm HubSpot in the CRM space, I I can make something free for people that another industry might be trying to build a business around. In which case, the build the the business that's actually trying to make money on on that type of content is going to be at a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, and so I, it just, it feels like something that's not like a long-term competitive advantage, but maybe like a short-term skim thing. I like it. I mean, there's the Jeff Bezos quote, your margin is my opportunity. Um, mm, I like that. I think this is kind of true of all marketing. Like there are very few marketing tactics that work long-term. There's maybe like strategies, like make content and people will, Maybe strategy is not even the wrong, the right word, but like I do think marketing is an industry that, aside from word of mouth, is there really anything in marketing that just keeps working for like decades? Well, marketing. So we're getting into a term that what is marketing? Right. Like in yeah, this case, sure. I think we're specifically talking about content marketing. Um, 
Well, or just like customer acquisition, like going out and getting people aware of who you are. Which is generally like either some form of meat, like content medium and telling them about your business. Like I want to differentiate between like a tool that you buy that has built in virality that you might right. buy product for like marketing growth. purposes. Yeah. Product like gross. Um, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I like, it's a sexy concept and it's a dream and it feels like like the perfect book because <laughs> it's like audience first. Like you're reading about how to make money on while you're making money. It's like, well, it's, that's kind of interesting. It's like, it's actually like a double whammy. It's like, you normally read books about how to make money, but this is how to make money while you're making money. Yeah. Yeah. It's very meta. Anyway, I, I agree with you though. I, I agree with you. Um, so anyway, yeah, I've, that's what I've been up to. What, what are you, what's going on with you? Uh, well, last week I was mostly a therapy session for me just complaining about how I don't know if I can do what I want to do anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Make any I, progress uh, on that? Yeah. I mean, it, you, you always do, right? You hit any time in life, you know, when you're in middle school, you're like, oh, high school's scary. And then your high school, college is scary. And then, you know, you graduate college and you're like, a job's scary. And then all of a sudden you have responsibilities and you're a parent and you just figure it out. Right. So the thing that I'm trying this week, you know, you challenged me rightfully last, you know, last week about maybe I'm trying to do too much and maybe my aspirate, like where I get my fulfillment in life will shift. Um, I'm not ready to to do that yet. I want to, that's like the last resort. Giving up on your aspirations is something I think that you think you don't want to think about until you absolutely have to. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought about it for a little bit and I was like, I'm not ready to even consider this yet. And it's like, where else can I, what, what are some other things I can do to make what I want to, what I'm currently doing happen, even with a baby in, in my life that I want to be very present with. So, mm-hmm. or who I should say I want to be very present with. Um, so uh, time management has been a priority this week. Um, specifically, um, I've been trying a couple of hacks and I want to just share um, some observations so far. So there are four things that I, specifically that I'm I've prioritized this week to try. One is time boxing. Are you familiar with this concept? Only because I read your newsletter, but why okay. don't you explain it? <laughs> so, so time boxing is um, basically uh, break, when you, you you're pretty good at as a product person about breaking large projects down into small tasks. Time boxing assumes that you've done that and you have this task that can be done. I don't know anywhere from an hour to a couple of hours. Ninety minutes is usually like the the ideal time. And you, instead of saying, I'm going to go work on this today, it's on my list. You say, I'm going to go work on this starting now or at this time for X minutes, 90 minutes. And you go like, you basically create like this deadline and this sort of competition with yourself against time to go get that done. And you say, I'm only going to focus on this. I'm going to, I'm going to turn off all distractions in this time. And then once I'm done with that, you know, I can decide what I'm going to do next, or I'm going to go do the next task. And it basically eliminates procrastination or fight. I shouldn't say eliminates. It fights procrastination by creating a deadline, which is a by definition a forcing function. Um, and so I've been doing that um, and really sticking to my time boxing. Um, the second thing. Um, well, I'm sorry. Can, can we can I stop you after each one and just say, like, yeah. what have your results been from from doing that? Uh, time boxing is one where it's like I should have been doing it for a long time before this. It just uh, seems like an obvious thing to do now. Yeah. And this is more of like a general observation, but having a baby is a huge forcing function in and of itself. And it's actually forcing me to confront some of the bad habits I've accumulated mm-hmm. in my sabbatical days <laughs> of just having a surplus of time. And so uh, this, you know, the reality is, is that if you are 
finding yourself drifting throughout the day into things that aren't related to what's most important to you right now, you probably are wasting a lot of time in the day and and time boxing would help you realize how much more time that you have to put towards what you really want to do. So um, even if you don't have a baby, like if you put time boxing in place next week, for example, and just tried it, I bet you would, I, you know, if you're like the, like me and you weren't time boxing before, you probably have, I don't know, 50% more time to do what you want to do during the day. And you're filling that time with either not working as, um, as, as focused as you could be, um, or you're procrastinating throughout the day. This makes me think maybe I should do this, uh, like in the moment. I don't think I would respond well to like pre-planning it out. But like, so Monday I woke up, I got to my computer and I just hit the ground running. I was productive. Yesterday I had like a couple hours free and I like 45 minutes and I was like, have I done anything in the last 45 minutes? Like I've been clicking on stuff. I wonder if maybe I should like notice that that's happening and be like, okay, I'm whatever the rest of the day is, I'm going to go time box it because it's not my day. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, um, I think what time boxing also has revealed to me is that I have a lot more willpower inside of me than I've been using. Hmm. Um, when you don't have to use willpower, it just sort of like evaporates. Um, and, but when you have to use it, it's amazing what like you have inside of you to get something done when you have to get it done. Yeah. And you want to pull on that, but not too much. I I don't, I think one word of caution here is, and I, I kind of want you to tell me if you think I'm burning, end up burning too much here is if you pull that willpower too much, it can, I think that's what eventually can turn into burnout. Yeah. I mean, that sounds well, because to some extent we've talked about burnout before that you, you made the claim. It's not, it's not that you're working too hard or anything like that. It's that you're kind of like working on stuff that's not fulfilling you. And if, if you're doing this time boxing too aggressively, you're basically saying I'm not working on the thing I naturally would be doing. I'm forcing myself to do it. And yeah, there's a limit to how much of that you can do. That's a good point. I actually feel much better about it now that you remind me of that because the, if, if you're going to time box and you're going to do it aggressively, make sure you're time box putting in some stuff that makes you feel really good and engaged. Because if you're mm-hmm. doing stuff that's co- like consistently just too hard for you, it's going to like wear you out. Yeah. Um, the second thing I've been trying is what, what, what I'm calling eliminating non-essential tasks. And this is related time boxing, but it's sort of the inverse, which is like, I looked at all the things that I was doing when I wasn't working on what I want, like one of my four things that are important to me and social media was a big one. I really enjoy social media, but I can usually get my fill on social media in about 15 to 20 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like if it's not, you know, if I'm not like free social media, just whenever I want to is gone like this week. And it's been a wonderful thing. I've loved it. Um, I, I don't know what I'm missing, but I I've spent, substantially less time on social media this week. I think that question, I don't know what I'm missing, like really gets to the heart of this because the reality is like, there's so much stuff on the internet. It's not like you were getting it all before, you know, you were getting 0.0001% of it. And now you're getting 0.00001% of it. And it doesn't matter. You're not, you're not getting everything anyway. The, the one thing that I'm scared about with social media, it's not the missing out, like the FOMO necessarily in terms of information. It's, I was starting to develop like a new relationship pretty yeah. consistently. And then not just to, like that new relationship, but like ground those relationships. And I don't want to lose that. I feel like social media in 2020 became, and even tw- the, like this year became a place for new friends and 
mutually beneficial relationships. And I, I need to figure out how to maintain that with like while doing away with the bad. Yeah. I'm going to just keep centering this on me because I'm self-centered, but like <laughs> when I'm hearing you talk about this, uh, so I have this, Shelly and I are extremely boring. Like we watch TV and scroll on Reddit or Twitter or whatever, almost every night. And, but eat, like, and eat Tostino's pizzas. And of course, yes. But like sometimes, so we, sometimes we eat dinner pretty early and we eat at like 5.30 and then we sit down at 6.30 and like literally four hours of sitting on the couch and doing this. And sometimes I like work or do something else and you sit down at like 8.30 and you spend two hours doing it or whatever. I feel just as like relaxed and like, like I like doing it, like your point, I like it, but I don't, the two hours or four hours doesn't matter. Um, so I do think probably like giving yourself some time, but all that value you were getting, I bet you'd get with 20 or 30 minutes a day rather than four hours a day. Yeah. And I'll, I will find out. Um, but so far, like I haven't missed it. I've just noticed how like often I was doing it and now that's like, I have all that time back. Yeah. Um, that's cool. So that's one example. There's a couple of others. Um, and, but, but this was social media was the, by far the biggest, um, multitasking. Um, I, we talked about multitasking, like pairing, uh, two compatible things. Think like one thing you should do and one thing you, you, you know, you, you want to do. And as a sort of a motivating, motivating factor, um, to get you to develop, develop a new habit or routine. Um, I haven't really been focused on doing the thing I want to do with the thing I should do. It's more like what are compatible things? Like for example, I'm on baby duty from you know, roughly 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. in the morning. Five, it's like a five-hour shift. Sometimes it's 7 a.m. to noon, but it, you know, five hours ish. Yeah. Um, when the baby is sleeping, I still have to be there, right? And oftentimes he's sleeping in your arms. But you can do something else while you're while he's doing that. And so, really being really diligent about when the baby falls asleep, doing a task that is compatible with him sleeping, um, that's been great. I've been reading in the morning, uh, for example, um, and then I've been listening to, uh, you know, doing some research. Some of the research things I do throughout the week that I can do on my phone. Hmm. And that's been yeah, great. That's great. Cool. Um, and then the uh, the third thing is that I've been trying to do is saying no to things that aren't related to my four things. You get inbound, I get inbound requests for time. Um, this is not going well <laughs> since I wrote, like, since I committed to this, I've like agreed to five or six things that have nothing to do with what I want to accomplish right now. And the reasons that I said yes to them were, were because they were relationship relationship decisions. Mm-hmm. I feel okay about it, but not great. Um, so I, you know, this is one of those things I'm going to have to watch. And I'm, this may be saying no, maybe something I explore in a future article, just because I feel like I don't know how to say no to yeah. people that I care about, um, or that I want to know better. I mean, yeah, you've, th- this seems to be a theme. Like you also said this in the social media part that the part you don't want to lose is the relationships and maybe you can have it all in which case great. But it does sound like if if you're starting to think like what what's the hard thing to cut? You've you've cut the easy stuff. What's the hard thing? Just saying, you know, for six months, focus on the relationships you've got and stop building new ones or something like that. That's that's a good point. Yeah, I'm gonna have to think about that one. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying you should yeah. do it, but like that to me, that sounds like the thing that we've all had that moment where like I know what I need to do, but like I, I'm nervous. If if what you're doing doesn't work, that sounds like the hard cut to me. Yep. 
Long story short, I'm feeling really good about the time I'm creating. I'm feeling much better about being able to continue to do what I'm doing. Um, I am getting a lot done um, and I'm still not even up to back to where I probably will be at some point. Yeah. Um, one observation I do want to share, and this is really interesting. Um, are you familiar with like the concept of a liminal moment? No, I'm not. Uh, liminal uh, basically means in between. It's an oversimplification, but in between moments is what I'm referring to. And this is time in between tasks. These are super dangerous for procrastination um, because you kind of feel like you are done with something and you want to reward yourself. And the, and liminal moments can turn into uh, complete procrastination. It might lead you to the kitchen to go eat some bad food. It might lead you to social media. It might lead you to checking email, doing something that isn't actually what you want to be doing. And man, I have become with time boxing. I've become much more aware of these liminal liminal moments. And uh, even with even with having a pretty set calendar, it, even when I'm in a time box, for example, and let's say I finish a chapter, just because I finish the chapter and I'm in between the next chapter in the book, it's like, oh, I can go do something now because I finished the chapter. When in reality, you didn't accomplish anything. Yeah, it's related to it's not the same thing, but we talk about context switching all the time. We're like, I'll put all my meetings back to back. Cause if I've got 30 minutes in between, I'm not getting anything done with those 30 minutes. There you go. So yeah. anyway, sorry cool. for that long uh, update. I, I hopefully it was interesting. And, um, I'm, I guess long, the, the point of all that is there are things I've been able to do to make myself feel a lot better about, um, being able to keep doing what I want to do yeah. with a baby awesome. in the house. So, yeah, no, thanks for sharing. I thought that was interesting. What, what are we going to hear from you a week from now? Like, do you feel like there's still a lot of progress to make here? Hopefully consistency. Like the, you know, I'm able to, I think the question now is, you know, is there more, uh, I can, can more time I can, uh, you know, make available. And then the second is, can I sustain this? Yeah. Cool. Sounds good. What's going on with you? What, what, what else on your list? Um, yeah. So I've got a few small updates here. So one, like, I think it was last week we talked about, this idea, we didn't use this language, but I'm going to call it like farming versus hunting to recruit people. Whereas hunting would be like, we have a job, we're going to find someone, I'm going to post job listings and go out and really try. Whereas farming is just kind of like, there's this like job opening available. We might not find someone right now, but we're going to plant seeds. We're going to go out and talk to people. If the right person falls into our lap, we'll pursue it. And just like coincidentally, right away, it someone fell into our lap. Um, so we do these, you know, these fellowships where we teach people normally to code, but right now I'm doing a design one. I'm teaching people how to do design. And um, Malia on our team runs the fellowship, and she was on the podcast before. And she goes out and finds speakers to talk to them to give more perspectives than just mine. And so she found this designer to talk to the fellows, and I watched it, and I was just like, damn, like that person seems pretty good. Uh, and so I, I have no idea what will come of it. It's still super, super early. But like just right before this, I got off the a Zoom call with her, and she's going to do a freelancing gig. We're going to see what it's like to work together. Uh, I could hire someone today. I could hire someone a year from now. This idea of like not being both not being in a rush, but also still having the money right now. It's, it's just very different for me. Are, do you, do you have any concerns that the, you're sacrificing quality? Um, I know that this right. is kind of a tough topic because there's an like applicant and I guess you, without commenting, do you have any work? How do you how do you make sure that you don't yeah. skimp on like you don't sort of lower your standard? I because, know exactly what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, because and and it could it could be good or bad. 
the thing is, if you go out and you get 100 applicants and you do phone screens with 20 of them and you do an in-person with eight of them, you can kind of say, well, okay, there's like a bell curve here, probably. And as long as we get the best of those 100 that applied or one of the top five of those 100 that applied, there's no like absolute sense of are they really good or really bad, but like relative to the other people, they're, they're good. So like they've got to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you just interview one person, they could blow your socks off. They, you could be like, whoa, I'm super impressed, but you have nothing to compare it to. Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about that. <laughs> one, one, one thing that just popped into my head as a test for that is um, take the average person on your team currently and just make sure that they're better than or equal to mm-hmm. the average of your current team. I think that's a good idea. That this is a tricky one because so we kind of have two positions sort of open. The the person I'm talking about is for a designer, which honestly I wasn't planning on hiring a designer for like a year, but again, something falls in your lap, you might as well pursue it. I've never hired a designer before. Um, we don't have any on the team except me, so I don't really have much to compare her to. But for the developer, I think that's a good uh, that's a, a good way to do it. Very cool. Um, what else? Every six months, I give the same update, which is we had the CRM coach day of rest, which is where all the developers and non-customer service people do customer service for a day, and the the customer service people take the day off. So we just did that. Uh, real quick on the recruiting stuff, I, I oh, think yeah. I, I would just say that that's interesting, and I think about I'm thinking that about that a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. More, of, it's more of an anxiety I have around bringing people on in the future for leg up health. But I would love to hear how that goes. Um, yeah. So please keep doing the updates. I'll say like being able to do the freelance project makes me a lot less worried about it because mm-hmm. is this the be- the FOMO is, is this the best person I could have gotten? And I just, you can't think like that. I think it's similar, honestly, it's to like relationships, you know, with, with a spouse. If you're like, is this the, the one person in the world for me? You're always going to be like, well, maybe there's someone else, right? You have to be like, no, I, this this person's great. I'm very happy with this person, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the, but being able to do the freelancing project, I think will de-risk it a lot. Cool, cool. And you were saying uh, uh, CRM coach, day of rest, um, any yeah. learnings there? It's just, uh, so I meet with Michael, the kind of head of the, the CRM coach team lead, uh, I don't know, every month or two. And we always plan uh, what what's going to happen between now and our next meeting to make things better. But I don't normally like feel the results of those until the CRM coach day of rest when it's like this time, like we we have new tooling. So for example, we use demo desk for our demo calls. Mm-hmm. We, we've used it for a while, but we, we started doing like audio and video through demo desk rather than calling them on the phone, which is how we used to do it. Minor improvement, but just like, whoa, that day was so much better. And I did video calls. I've never video called with a customer before. And it was so cool, like uh, just getting that face-to-face contact. And like, there's just a lot of processes that have been refined. Just like, like I'm going to give you one example. This is going to seem so like minor and small. Before, when someone uh, like wanted, when, when we wanted to log in as someone and show them um, our like, sh- like screen share their account. So their account is pulled up on our screen and we're sharing it with them so they can see it. There's all this like security around it. Like, are we talking to the right person and stuff like that? We just made that flow a little smoother where I click a button. It sends them an email. They click a link, which on my end says, okay, here's your link to log in and then put that into demo desk and it logs in as them. It's just a little smoother than before and it makes all the difference. And it just kind of reminds me in the early days of a business, customer service is easy because like it's just throw time at it. 
If the founder of a business is spending time, they can't mess it up. It's impossible. But as you start to scale and it's not the founder doing it anymore and you've got more people and like margins are more of it, more important and stuff like that, just these little tiny process improvements add up and they're big, they're making our moat deeper and deeper and deeper, I feel like. I'm convinced going back to our earlier conversation that your next course on lessonlangbusiness.com needs to be related to customer service. Hmm. Yeah. Start, do something like you need to do, put some investment into it because I think once you get a high level outline of what you want to cover, there's uh, at least a hundred pages on this. Yeah, I, I agree. One thing I've, I, part of my doubt is like a lot of this stuff is so specific to us. Like that demo desk thing, I could go into like, here's exactly how the flow works. And everyone would be like, well, it doesn't apply to me, you know? Yeah, but there's, you know, one thing that always happens when you bring these things onto the start to last episodes is that a framework emerges. And Mm so I think if you wrote these out um, and then pattern matched, you'd probably, these are all anecdotes to uh, a framework that you can probably... Um, you know, make up some words to call and say, you know, put your put your name on it. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll I'm sh- I'm starting to just make a list of like anytime I do I interact with something where I'm like, oh, we put thought into that. Write it down. That's what yeah. I'm trying to do. Yeah. Right which, now. The, which and then and then yeah, once you get those down, just and maybe you just add a question when you write it down. Like, does this tie to a larger principle that um, yeah, you know, that I've already identified. You know, if so, you know, category. Cat- cat- categorize it by that. Yeah. Cool. Um, back to you. What's next on your list? Uh, so I wanted to share a little bit about what I'm working on. Um, I had originally, my next big project is absolutely going to be leg up benefits and I'm really excited about it, but I don't feel comfortable without having more continuous time to be able to focus without interruption, meaning I'm not on baby duty, uh, for five hours a day. Um, I don't, I don't feel comfortable starting that project until then. So I'm in the meantime, I'm, I've, I'm continuing to work on SEO and content writing for leg up health. Um, and the idea is I want to basically build the foundational building blocks for a walkthrough or guided tour of buying your own health insurance that doesn't really exist. Buying your own health insurance is a very, very long process. It's not, you know, show up on an e-commerce site and buy. Um, that's if you go search online, that's where you'll end up. Is you'll you'll find a site that allows you to do some window shopping, but buying the coverage actually takes days. Um, you have to, you know, oh, you realize that your doctors aren't covered. You got to gather your doctor information. Then you got to, you know, understand. Oh, I've got new pharmacy needs or or prescription drug needs. You know, let's look at the drug formularies. It's it's a it's a drawn out process that oftentimes people are disappointed in, but if there, you know, if 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 our if Leg Up Health could provide the walkthrough, the guided sort of kind of guided tour um, of how to you know do those things in the right order, so that by the time you do show up and you're looking at plans, you've got you're ready to make a decision. Um, then I think that that could be a huge differentiator for us, and it's very reasonable to do a lot of that via no code or low code because it's not plan specific; it's more helping someone get educated um, and then also gather information that they already have, that they have available on their own and sort of input that into the platform. So it's mostly forms and content, but, cool. uh, but, but in order to build that, you've got, it's so technical you had, you got to have all, you, 
if you don't want to link to like the IRS site and the government websites, you've got to build this foundation of detailed articles to source, you you know, to kind of footnote to and, and link to if people want to dive deeper. Sort of like when you go through TurboTax software, mm-hmm. Turbo, like TurboTax isn't useful unless like when you get stuck, you can click the help icon and then go search their catalog of help articles or like talk to a CPA. And so um, anyway, I'm, I'm working on that. That's a really interesting, I'd never thought of you as like the health insurance version of TurboTax, but that's, that is kind of an interesting way to think about it. Totally. Yep. With, um, a, with an accountant, with a, with an agent on standby. Yeah. I, uh, I really like, you didn't quite say this, but I, a, a kind of like content strategy I've liked in the past is a free, like you can get access to all of the content for free, but it's like download this PDF and print it out and it's a form or sign up for this account and it's the same form, but it's digital. And like, there's all kinds of advantages that come with it. Um, do you think that might be the approach you take here? Um, explain that a little bit differently. Yeah. So someone might be like, okay, like let's say you want to, uh, you want to do an SEO. Let's say we're giving advice to an SEO person. Here's how you do it. Write down 25 keywords. Um, if you're doing it on paper, it's like print out this paper and write the 25 keywords and then go into Google search and search for each one, but don't, don't hit enter, get the, uh, program, like the autocomplete answers and write all of those down or sign up for our tool Type the 25 and we'll go get the autocomplete answers for you. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. So basically, I, I like it because they can get value without signing up. It's not like you have to give me your email address to get value here, but it's like you, you really should. What And what, what would you call a tool like that? Um, it's not really like, it's not really a product. It's, it's more like a, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a work. It's like a form builder almost. Yeah, I've. I've got this on my list of like marketing ideas for myself. I don't have any like specific ideas for myself, but it's like, what ling- I'm trying to find out what language I use. It's like, yeah, build a tool that's not your like core product. Like it's, yeah, I don't, I don't have a term, I guess. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So I, so right now I'm, I'm not really focused on the tool yet, but I'm building the pieces so that when I get to the tool, I don't have to write everything. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I'm, what I'm ending up writing is a lot of the stuff that I, wrote for the book back in 2014 and but i haven't taught like thought about for six years seven mm-hmm. years um and then uh you know i'm also re- rewriting a lot of the stuff that i wrote for the blog at zane benefits which i don't know if you realize this but we got taken down as authors oh really they finally we, did it <laughs> yes and i don't know how i feel about it we talked about this on the podcast like a long time ago that you actually know what you're talking about, but I have these posts that I wrote in like 2009 that are like terrible that until oh. recently were, uh, we're still up. Man, so they're gone. You're yeah, upset your, your that they name, took them down? I don't, I'm not upset. Um, I wrote a lot of content yeah. uh, over many, many years and it's kind of crazy to have like to wake up one day and have it not be attributed to you anymore. Like, Oh, so the content's still there. They just took our names yeah, off it. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, so when you're an employee, that's, that's how it works. Yeah. I'm just trying to think if like, for example, Lena wrote a couple articles for our blog. I would never take her name down without asking her. Yeah. Like, I, I get that. But I'm going to like take this on a weird tangent here, but like I've been thinking more and more lately about how this is the difference between owning versus working somewhere is like the the job could be just as hard. Maybe you don't even get, I don't get paid that much more than my employees, 
But the difference is every day an asset is being built that I own. And that asset, they, I hope my employees trust me that I'm going to do right by them. But like legally, that's not guaranteed, right? You own it. Yeah. Um, So anyway, I'm pumping out three to four of these articles a day, um, which is actually pretty good considering how technical they are. I'm not posting them. I'm getting them draft stage and then I'll post them all at once at the end of every week. Um, but it's going well. Uh, I had a couple SEO questions. My goal right now is not to really build off-site SEO, but it's to make sure that I'm checking the boxes on the on-site SEO, and then I'll focus on off-site stuff later. Um, and by on-site stuff, I'm referring to stuff like keywords um, on the page, making sure I've got the right page, you know, the meta description filled out. You're not if, doing link uh, link building and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm not doing link building. Um, yeah. One thing that, uh, I, I, you know, the, I, one question I had for you is, do you have um, any good online resources you found? I mean, Ahrefs is what I've been using. And I'm, my goal is just to get that into the 90s and then say, uh, you know, thumbs up. Uh, yeah, that's that's the tool I use also. And I have you looked at the I think they call it Ahrefs University. It's no, like I they're they have a pretty extensive resources on like learning about SEO. I haven't done it, but Eunice, who's our marketing person, is going through it right now. And I, I always hear that like that's kind of the definitive source, but I'm probably not the person to ask about this, honestly. Um, do you feel pretty good about if I just went through like Ahrefs, got my current score is fourteen. Um, if I got it to 90, like I'd feel pretty good. I could check the box and say onsite SEO is pretty good. Uh, I would certainly hope so. I feel good about that. Having said that, you know, we switched to Webflow a while back. Our score is way better than it was. And our search traffic is down pretty significantly. Um, so but I don't you, think it's but like... you changed a ton of URL structures. We did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I guess my point is like, I do not yet have evidence that that, that score being high matters, but it has to. I mean, this is like the definitive tool for SEO. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the second, um, another question I had for you is I, I noticed you wrote an article about open graph images um, or graph images for blog posts. Oh, no, you didn't, did. write a, you didn't write an article about it. What you <laughs> did was you provided an update in your newsletter about how you oh, were yeah. designing those. And I was right. wondering, could you descri- describe what those are? And then I have some questions about how you're making those and mm-hmm. why you're making them and that sort of thing. Yeah. So the idea is if you, I think Facebook sort of invented this and then other websites just followed their standard. Um, If you share a link in Slack or on Facebook or on Twitter, it doesn't just share the text link. It shares like an image and like the kind of meta description. You can kind of, it it basically shares like a rich snippet of the, the web page that's being shared. That's not just like randomly generated. You can tell uh, these are called open graph, uh, metadata or whatever. You can give it the metadata to say, if someone shares a link to this, here's the image to use, here's the text, here's the description and so on. And, um, you, you mentioned in, in your update that you were designing specific images for this purpose. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering why you're doing that. And then also, is this the same image you're using for, um, like when someone hits the website? and then sees it at the top of the page, like with a blog post listing, or is this a completely separate image? This is a completely separate image. Um, My instinct was just to make one of these and use it on every page. So for example, like startuptolast.com, which, you know, the the website for this podcast, is hosted by transistor.fm. They let you upload an image that they just use on every page. And you've probably seen it. It says, I don't know, like talking about startups that are meant to last or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. got like a text with some mountains in the background. Uh, Webflow does not let you set one of these images for every single page at once. 
I'm sure you could like write custom code to do it, but they basically say best practices make a different image for every single post. You already have the title and description. It'll just like use the SEO meta description that you're already entering in Webflow, but they, if you want an image, it has to be uploaded for each specific blog post. And so I'm like, well, if they're telling me to do it, there must be a reason for it. And and uh, how are you creating this? Are you are you designing them from scratch every time? I have so I use Figma as my design tool, which is nice because it's free and I like it for other reasons. Um, I have a basically you can have different like there's this giant canvas and you can have different images on it. So I made one kind of boilerplate image and it's similar to our startup to last one. It's like a mountain in the background with some text over it and my logo in the corner. Um, and then I can just change the text to normally my default is it's just whatever the text of the blog post is. So the enough number, what motivates you when you have enough, it'll just be that text on a cool image. Sometimes I take it a step further. So like my last blog post was the difference between networks versus community versus audience. And I have like a visual in it that visualizes those three things. And so I like made a custom image, but basically Long story short, I have a Figma file. Every time I write a new blog post, I just copy and paste this template, and then I customize it to fit the the post I just wrote. Got it. Okay. And uh, you know, do you think like should I be doing this? If no one ever shares a post, it doesn't matter. Like this okay. only matters when someone shares it on Twitter or Facebook or something. But it makes a big difference in my opinion. Like if you scroll through your feed. The links that have this information and have like a nice custom image, look, they stand out way, way more than just some like random generic link without this stuff. Okay, that's helpful. Um, and then I guess uh, final question, with, with offsite SEO, are you doing anything right now? Have you discovered any quick wins that maybe I should do before I shelve this for later? <laughs> Mostly no. Um, I, th- I think it takes... Luckily, less knowing CRM is known enough that like opportunities come in to us. So like if an affiliate reaches out to us, we're we're dabbling right now with being like, we'll give you a slightly higher commission if if we can like write a guest post or something on your site or that type of thing. Um, and then the thing we're trying to do right now is we're trying to figure out what are the keywords. Like we don't need to compete on the keyword less annoying CRM anymore. Almost every link pointing to our site is like, you know, you could try less annoying CRM and that's the the thing that's linked. We are number one obviously, for a less annoying CRM. What we need to do is find other keywords that we want to be number one for and then start making that the anchor text that points at it. But we're at that stage of figuring out what are those keywords, and we don't have that answered yet. Small business CRM? Yeah, maybe. It's a delicate balance. With all SEO stuff, right? the challenge is you want it to be bigger than what you've got, but if it's too big, it's too competitive and you're not going to get there. Yeah, I think... think I feel like you've got enough swag that you could go for some big terms, though. Yeah. Eunice was, is looking into all this right now, and she messaged me on Slack earlier today saying, like, one of our best linkbacks we've got on the whole internet is from my mom's food blog. So that's we don't hilarious. have a ton of backlinks. <laughs> well, that's a big blog, though. It is. It's a big blog, but, it, you know, it has nothing to do, obviously, with less annoying CRM. Um, okay. Well, that's helpful. Thank you for walking through that with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm doing that until I, my, until I have more time in the day. Yeah. And so I'm just going to continue writing until I either run out of writing, which won't happen, or I start like a benefits project. Very cool. Um, the other update I have is, and this is a big win. I filed taxes today 
for my nice. business. And I have a great accountant and it's so nice to have a great accountant who you trust, who does things quickly and speaks your speed. Um, and I owe no taxes because I lost a ton of money. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a win. And that means you get a lot less. Uh, but when you do start making money, you've got a little buffer before you have to start paying taxes. Exactly. That's it's cool. called the uh, net operating loss um, carryover, NOL. How how hard were your taxes? Like, I, So I should say, in the early days, you're much more put together. You've got like, you know, you're incorporated and you've got subsidiaries and stuff. We did not even incorporate as an LLC until we were several, several years into the business. So we didn't really do taxes at all. Like, how hard is it for a very, very small but like legit company to do taxes? Uh, 15 minutes on the, really? on the phone call with... with uh, uh, how- are you comfortable sharing what you paid your accountant? Like a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars. Okay. Yeah. So that's probably ten hours of their time, something like that. They have a fixed cost, so I don't even know. But I guess it's mm. probably. I bet they. I bet for me because I have everything put together really well. Where I basically I upload the docs, I share QuickBooks, and everything's done. I bet. Yeah. It's, I bet they so make a lot of money. So you're maybe even. You're maybe overpaying. Oh, probably, because you're yeah. so put together. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. And like. For us, it's not, I think we probably pay 8,000 or something, which is not, I mean, if you scale revenue, like it doesn't get that bad, I guess. What do you, I mean, QuickBooks or what? Uh, To our accountants, sorry. I mean, I I would expect that the, like, I mean, if you're not doing anything crazy financially, like it seems like the the time it takes to file taxes isn't, doesn't increase with revenue. That's fair. Right. It's not, yeah, you're not, it's not a percentage of revenue, but I do think things tend to get more complicated. So for example, we file for this R and D tax credit every year and stuff like that. Filing for tax credits, going after that stuff stuff does complicate it, but yeah, that's fair. Something I just hate while we're on the topic of accounts. I I really like our accountant in terms of they do the job. I'm happy with the price, all that. It always comes down to the last day, every single fucking time. And I'm like, what if I happen to be on vacation right now? Like, I'm not planning my vacation around. And it's not just April 15th. It's quarterly estimated taxes. Like, give me give me a week heads up that I'm going to have to mail a check here. Come on. Well, that, one, one cool thing about one thing I really like about my accountant um, is that he I mean, the minute he's I mean, he was ready to do my taxes three months ago. Like he's like, Ugh. you pay prepay now and we'll get it you in the we'll get you in the queue. And uh, so I paid my thousand bucks and. You know, I'm done. I'm jealous. Yeah. Um, speaking of accountants, I have a shout out uh, that I'd like to give uh, to a listener. It's one of the best things about this podcast is when we you know, get on here and share how stupid we are about certain things because we can't figure it out. Someone who's listening uh, potentially is an expert. Um, and that happened to me last uh, week. Um, I, I don't know when it was, but I brought up, uh, you know, that I wish there was sort of like a divvy or an expense cart, like, ba- like basically a divvy for the you know revenue accounts so you mm-hmm. can you know automate accounting and one of our listeners Jonathan Womack um out of Atlanta was a CPA before he became a founder and started listening to his podcast like wrote me exactly what to do on uh, on LinkedIn and uh, I implemented what he suggested and now I'm like I totally solved my problem long story short like it Basically, I didn't have one of my bank accounts in QuickBooks, which meant I was like tr- doing a transfer for every deposit so that I could, um, you know, track it in QuickBooks. And by linking that account, I only now I now can automate all of the revenue recognition, and then only do one sweep transfer from that account into my main account every week. So he literally saved me tons of time already, right now. But 
infinite amounts of time uh, over the next um, you know years. So um, anyway, I really appreciate him. He's I want to give his company a shout out. It's my tracer. Um, he actually is serving CPA firms now um, after being a CPA. But they but one cool thing about my tracer is it started out as low code, no code, no code moved into low code, and now it's fully coded. Um, and they do like uh, they basically connect into like your your QuickBooks and help um, uh, eliminate uh, the need for like manual uh, testing of accounting data um, when you go through um, audits. Wow, that's awesome! I, something that's so funny to me, like you and I, we're obviously both on this, but we have separate Twitter accounts. A few people message like our startup to last Twitter account, but I get a lot more to my personal account. I don't know or, or email, and I assume you get the same or LinkedIn. And it's so funny, like just different people decide, to, some people decide to reach out to you. So I bet some people are listening to this and they're like, oh, I hate Tyler, but Rick's cool. I'll listen to it. <laughs> uh, way more people think you're cool. Uh, I, it, I don't listen, know, man. A bit, a bit, I bet if we went to BitClout and we were listed on there, your BitClout account would be worth more than my BitClout account. <laughs> I know you don't really listen to My First Million, but they talk about this a lot on there because they're like much bigger. You know, they're like 10 times, 100 times probably a thousand times more popular than us. And people will, when you get that big, people go on YouTube and in the comments, will be like, oh, I like host A, I hate host B. And like, you can just tell they're like, oh shit, I think more people like you. <laughs> they they each think it about each other though. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, well, I totally, uh, I totally think it about you. Um, but yeah, thanks Jonathan for taking time to do that. It really, it really helped me out. Cool. Um, okay, maybe this would be a nice last topic here. I don't know. Did you did you see? I guess Webflow announced their like product roadmap or something like this. I sent this to you. Did you look at that? Yeah, I saw it. Um, that memberships are coming. Yeah, I mean there are a lot of lot of cool things coming with Webflow, and since you and I both use it, we talk about it all the time on the podcast. I figured we might discuss it here. But yeah, anything stand out to you in particular? Well, okay, yeah. So they say me- memberships are coming, which just for anyone who hasn't followed along, there's a pretty common no code model right now, which is you make a website in Webflow or anything else, but we use Webflow. uh, And then you put a member stack on top of it, which basically says someone has to be logged in and potentially paying. I guess they don't have to be paid, but the idea is like if it's a paid community or paid membership, they have to pay in order to see certain content uh, on the site. This works fine for not, not sensitive content because you can say like, if you haven't Basically, the if if you know anything about code, you can just disable member stacks JavaScript, and you can mm-hmm. see the content even if yep. you haven't paid. Yep. So there's just if it's pri- if it's actually private data, there's this potential security hole with mm-hmm. it. Um, I wonder. And, and there are ways to. I would just be clear and fair to mm-hmm. member stack. They do provide ways for you to keep that information secured so that it's only available and displayed if the person's been authenticated. Yeah, but my understanding is. It's not really no like you, you basically have to write that's code. code that's to do low, that. That, yeah. it, that's what I would qualify as the low code yeah. um, piece. So yeah. I don't know what Webflow has in mind, but because so the thing is member stack fundamentally can't fix this security issue uh in the the way that you normally would because they don't control the servers, mm-hmm. right? They're not running code on the servers. If Webflow does memberships, they at least have the p- possibility that this is not done in JavaScript, this is done on the back end. And that it would actually bring the level of security you want. And I, so I kind of wonder if maybe, and also it just might be simpler, right? You have all your data in, in one place. I wonder if this might simplify your stack a little bit in the future. Yeah. Um, so I am, I think this is great for no code MVPs 
and especially for uh, consumer related accounts where you have some, especially when you have like a dashboard or content that you want a one-to-one relationship with a user and the content or that page. Um, Past that, I am pessimistic that Webflow is going to invest the time and move quickly on this. It's taken Mm -hmm. them so long to release this that I see this as um, the minute you've gotten validation, you're, you know, and you have any sort of complication around user, you know, user, um, let's just call it uh, multi-page accounts or a user, multi-users per account um, or business to business um, with teams. It's, it gets, you're going to need to graduate to a third-party plugin. But MemberStack doesn't handle the teams either, does it? They will. Um, they uh, don't they handle will. it well right now, but they're, you know, they've been for the last seven months, heads down, uh, working on V2 of the platform that they're planning to release in the, in the coming months that hmm. uh, takes their, their, they're going much more into the low code space, um, right. moving away from no code. And I, and I, I think one big reason for that is they see the no code space being gobbled up by, by someone like uh, Webflow. Well, okay. And so let me give a slight, again, I don't have all the details here, so it's possible I misunderstand what's going on. This could actually be a really cool ecosystem play to, to create opportunity for no uh, for new no-code tools to be built on top of it. And here's what I mean by that. Webflow already has these things called co- collections, which is basically a database. Mm-hmm. Um, and I assume the way memberships will work is like, okay, this user is a row in a collection or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. You could imagine more sophisticated tools getting built that basically say, use Webflow as the database, but they don't, like you said, they're probably not going to handle all these edge cases and stuff. If you could handle the edge cases with a third-party tool, but while storing the data directly in Webflow, that would be, I think, really cool. The reason that I'm pessimistic about that is the collections are so tied into pages, meaning like a collection entry is is tied to a like a URL, yeah, like they're very true. much the same thing, and so they'd have to really rethink collections as a concept and move more into databases. And then, you know, do you want like? F- I guess it's not that hard. They they basically would fly up and say collections is really a database, and some of these databases can automatically have pages created for each of for each entry. Yeah. But yeah, so like that's the thing that I think if they fix that, then this would be legit. Yeah, but I feel if- like that's like a major major change. I agree. If nothing else, I'm optimistic about this because we, you and I have talked before, Webflow is at this crossroads where a lot of people use it for no code, but it's the bigger market here is WordPress. Mm-hmm. WordPress is not a no code tool. This says to me that at least Webflow has not entirely abandoned no code in favor of just being like the generic website builder, which I am encouraged by. Mm-hmm. But, yep. Yep. Cool. Totally. All right. Anything else on your mind before we call it here? I don't think so. Uh, what about you? No, I think I'm good. I'll have more. I'll have more next week. Well, good. I can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> um, all right, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have a favor to ask. Please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuplast.com. See you next week. See ya. See ya.